Finding Life Church by God. I found this the other day in the library. <laughs> Chapter 1. The air outside is unseasonably warm for early January. <laughs> he went through the checklist again. Do we have everything in place? Band? Check. Kids life stuff? Check. Setup done? Check. Oh yeah, message? Double check. And then there was a brief moment of panic. Are people going to show up? He quickly pushes that away and remembers what brought him to this point. This has been simmering in their hearts for a while now. Birthed many years ago and continually being refined and finally set in motion. Nope, this is good and right. The alternative was to be like most other churches and pick a rut and then make it deeper. He shuddered. Because that's what most churches have done, preferring, preferring even if not consciously, repetition or even stagnation. Sometimes, as he thought, fooling themselves into thinking that managing the status quo is good enough. I don't want to just keep everyone moving, the flashing lights shining bright and the music happy just so we don't have any complaints. The big problem, he thought, is whether those churches are still or busy, too few are really making headway. Rather than missionary disciples for Christ going into the world, we have a group of people content to go in circles. No, God calls us to make a transformational impact in the world, not providing a carnival or frenetic activity for ourselves. Nine and a half years ago, he knew that for this kind of impact to happen, that this church needs to engage in his mission for his sake in his terms. And he hears a car door slam shut, and it pulls him out of his thoughts. And the family walks up to the middle school, and he smiles and he extends his hand. Welcome to Finding Life Church. Almost 10 years have passed since that first Sunday. And change is a good term to use to describe these past years. There's been plenty of transformation happening in the lives of many, many people, so many stories. Location, change again. A middle school, an old elementary gym in Millard. I hear it had a very distinct smell. And now, in Ralston, at the auditorium in the high school. Staff, change. Two associate pastors and the founding pastor have transitioned on, and a slightly older version is in place. <laughs> to use an old cliche, the baton has been passed, and the next leg of the race is in motion. Chapter 2. The air outside is 
seasonably warm for early August. He went through the checklist. Do we have everything in place? Fan? Yep. Kids' life? Check. Setup done? Check. Oh, yeah, message, discount, double check. <laughs> I don't know if you catch that one. Will anybody show up? A brief moment of panic sets in. He quickly pushes that away and remembers what brought him to this point. This Sunday has been 30 years in the making. I want to build on the foundation of what was set in motion almost 10 years ago. And then he hears something, and it pulls him from his thoughts, and his heart is settled. And he smiles, and he says, Welcome to Finding Life Church, chapter 2. He turns the pages... The blank. Huh. I guess chapter two is yet to be finished. My name is Kevin, and I am one of many who call Finding Life Church home today. I happen to have the title of pastor, but please don't let that scare you. I am a regular human being that puts their Jeans, pants, in one leg at a time. And if I haven't connected with you, I would love to do that, whether today or at some point in the future. Like the story said, this day has really been 30 years in the making for me. I thought I knew what church was growing up. I've been given a certain version of it. Uh, before I went to seminary with my wife and our, our daughters. And while at seminary, it was refined even further through study and, and um, interacting with professors and such. And then for the next 25 years, reality began to set in as I served in two churches of over 100 years of history in each one. And I watched these churches and the leaders and the elders and the people begin to wrestle with what does it look like to do church, the things that I had grown up with and the things that I had been taught in seminary, what does that look like in real life? To be obedient to that great commandment in scripture that Jesus laid down for the people here left and also that the great commission. And I saw them, and I've learned, and my, my um, definition, my uh, strategy for church has been refined even further and even further and even further, learning what to do and then learning also what not to do. I did a lot of reading during those 25 and a half years, did a lot of conferencing uh, did a lot of watching videos and listening to podcasts and such. And so all of that combined leads us to um, today. This year has been a, a year of, with you all, it's been a, another part of refining and honing what you're going to hear today and the next two Sundays. 
And the elders have worked really hard since January at crafting this and unveiling it for you today. And, and I can't say, or I, can, I can say, I can't say, I can say that we are really, really excited about what we're going to share. If you think about a book, the book has a beginning, and that first chapter is key to the unveiling of the rest of that book. Each chapter builds what's being laid out, whether it's whatever it is, but it lays out that foundation for the remaining part of that book. So I want you to think of today as we unveil, we've titled this series Chapter 2, as really building on the legacy of Chapter 1. If someone were to ask you how you describe or define church, what would your answer be? I want you just to think about that. Either talk it over with someone by you or just think about it in your head. If you don't like to talk to people, that's fine. Although if you don't, then people will know that and then they'll shame you. No, I'm just messing. <laughs> just talk about what is your definition or describe to you what you think church is, all right? Just do that just briefly here, quickly. When we think about the definition of church, when we think about describing what church is, sometimes it can be hard. Some, most people, many followers of Jesus, I've learned, would answer that question by describing maybe the building that they um, meet in on a Sunday morning or the programs or the events that take place within that building or outside of it. Others might describe the leaders that help to facilitate those programs or those events. Um, and somewhere along the way, church has come to be defined as an event that is largely separated from our daily lives. And that, to me, is key. That somewhere along the, along the way, that church has begun or has been defined as an event that is largely separated from our daily lives, I go to church, I go to a Bible study, I go to small group. And those are my segments that I define as church or as I define as discipleship. The question is, how does God define church? And that's what we want to look at just briefly here. Uh, two passages, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 and Ephesians 2, 10. 1 Peter, 9, or 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. And then Ephesians 2, 10 um, says, For we are God's handiwork, created in created in Christ Jesus to, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so how God has defined the church is, first of all, we see that there's this people of God. God calls out, separates Israel in the Old Testament. He calls them that, that holy nation that echoes this promise that God gave to Abraham and to Moses, to Israel. And he called this group of people the people of God, and he asked them and told them to remember him and to show the world 
what he was like through their everyday lives, through their working, through their resting, through their eating, through the celebrating. This is what God had asked Israel to do as the people of God. What we learn in Scripture is that Israel eventually forgot who they were as the people of God and why had they been called that. That second part of that verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 10, it says that Jesus did what Israel could not. Jesus lived, died, and rose again to rescue God's people back to a life showing the world what he is like through their everyday lives. Jesus became that perfect example of showing the world what it's like in not just something that you go to in the temple at the time, but in his everyday life, waking up, eating, celebrating, playing, all of that. And so through God's mercy, we see that shown through Jesus that he has created a new people. And and this new people are defined by the gospel, not by ethnicity or not by nationality. Right? Once you have, once you had not received mercy, but now you have. And so we see that We're saved by the work of Jesus. Why? For his purposes in the world. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so God works not just on Sunday morning, not just in our life groups, not just as your whatever you might be involved in Bible study or whatever it is, student life, kids' life. But in everyday life, and that to me is an important distinction. See, Paul says that the gospel doesn't just save us. It gives us a mission, and it asks us to do good works to accomplish that Not in our own strength, but in Jesus Christ. A phrase that I know you've heard before many times, and I'm sure you've heard it throughout the nine and a half years of Finding Life Church, but we don't go to church. We are the church. Sent into the world. That to me is a key, key statement. And it's easy to say, but in reality, it's hard to do. You see, church, this is a, we're quoting um, a pastor who says, the church has wrongly been defined only as an event, a Bible study on Wednesday or a class and the worship service on Sunday. See, Jesus didn't just proclaim the good news. He just doesn't say, here is the good news. He lived, he lived the good news life. It wasn't just verbal, he lived it out. Showing what God's rule and reign look like when God breaks into the normal stuff of our everyday life. 
And so that's really, in essence, the church helping us also understand that Christians never graduate from the gospel. We graduate from a lot of things. We graduate from being a toddler to an elementary, elementary to, to middle school, middle school to high school, high school to college, college to the working world. And then from there, it's different things that we graduate from until eventually we pass away. But there is this idea amongst our culture that believing the gospel is a one-time thing. That once a person believes the gospel, they can move on to bigger and better things. The problem is when we try to live as the people of God for his purposes, which we just got done laying that foundation for, apart from the gospel, which we tend to do, we eventually crumble under the weight of guilt and shame so many things that Satan wants you to believe. So we need to understand that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news, not only for conversion, but for all of our life. And we know that in three areas. We know that Jesus did it better. We are saved from our past sin. That's a promise we need to hold on to. Right? No natural human can, can perfectly glorify God, but Jesus did. So Jesus' life, death, and resurrection saved us from the penalty of sin, which was separation from God and death. Jesus does it better. We see that in his life. So we are saved uh, not only from, the, from our past sin, but we are saved from the present power of sin. So the gospel is good news not just for our past, but also for today. His life, his death, his resurrection is saving us from the present power of sin. And then thirdly, Jesus will make it better. We are saved from the future presence of sin. Our hope and our future salvation is secured. One day when we pass away, we are going to be in that space with God and Jesus and the other believers. And we're going to be saved from that future presence of sin. And so our job is not to be Jesus. Our job is to believe him. Our job is to depend on him. Our job is to submit to him working in and through us to accomplish what Ephesians 2.10 talks about, these works that he has prepared for us beforehand to do. This quote hit me deep when I read it. What you love most, you fear, you also fear losing the most. Let me read that to you again. What you love most, you also fear losing the most. And whatever threatens what you love most controls you. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you believe this promise that, that he first loved us. And so because of that, I in turn love him. And he loved us, right, by sending his son to satisfy God's just wrath against our, against for our sin. And so here's the cool thing with that is we no longer have to fear judgment 
coming against us for our sin because Scripture says perfect love casts out fear. And so what you've heard from me this whole year, and I'm sure what you've heard in, in chapter 1 of Finding Life Church is that the gospel is key. The gospel is key. Believing these truths make all the difference in your life and in the world. Without him, we're helpless and hopeless. And we, seek, we tend to seek someone or something else to fulfill or to give us hope, to give us joy. And we struggle with that battle every day. And we rely on our power or lack thereof of faith and strength. And we fear other things which can then control our life. And the bottom line is, is that we need to believe the gospel in order to step out and obey him. And let me just share with you three statements. You and I need to believe he has saved you and I. That you are forgiven and that you are loved. And I know you've heard this, but I want you to, to, to meditate on that and let that sink deeply. What does that life look like? When you believe that he saved you, when you believe deeply in the core of who you are, that you are forgiven and that you are loved. And there's no record of wrongs against you. You need to believe that he is saving you right now. That you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And you need to believe that he will save you. You have nothing to fear because your future is in his hands what does it look like for someone to believe these three things in their life and to live their life for Jesus Christ in freedom and without fear? To me, that is amazing. And so where do we go with this? Where do we go with this, that the church and that we never graduate from the gospel and the gospel is key and believing these truths about who God is and who we are and what Jesus has done and the hope that we have in heaven? Where for too long we believed or we've been taught that discipleship primarily happens in maybe like a gathering like this or on a Sunday, Sunday school or in some variation of a smaller group setting. And the unintended result is often that the Christian life exists for an hour or two during the week. And what we begin to learn is that it's disconnected from our everyday life. And so we go to church and we attend Sunday morning. We worship through singing, maybe give, um, and we listen to somebody bloviate on God's word. We pray, talk to a few people, and we go home. And then we might attend a small group of some kind during the week, but we go to that. And again, that's separated from our real life, and so we have Sunday morning, and then we do real life, and then we do a, a, a small group of some kind, and that's there, and then we kind of do real life again. And in that process, what, I mean, while it's been good and wanted really to 
really make disciples who make disciples, the unintended results of that is that we begin to be programmed, conditioned to believe that this Christian life and discipleship is really just in these segments of one or two hours. And it's just disconnected from our everyday life. And so our question that I've asked myself over all these years as I've seen and been a part of and even advocated for, I mean, why aren't we not making disciples who make disciples? What are we, what's the disconnect? What are we struggling with? And so we began to just, I began to, to do research and look and find and, and ask the question, well, how are we going to change that narrative? And what I came upon was I latched onto a, for lack of a better term, a system that I believe is going to be able to do this. What if we looked at life rather than just these segments that discipleship is really an all-of-life type of deal. It's really all of our life. And that seems simplistic, but that is a significant shift in our church culture. What if we began to submit every aspect of our lives to the power and presence of Jesus? Because this is what Jesus has called his disciples to do and that's what he's calling us to do as well. Travis talked about a while ago how um, I believe it was through Abraham that Abraham recentered his whole life around God. The disciples began to do that. And then Travis talked about how he, um, as a follower of Christ, from pre follower to now follower, had to learn to recenter everything in his life around Jesus, and that's what we're going to do, we're going to try to do as a church. The disciples had to do that radically. They had to recenter everything in their life around Jesus, his teaching and his mission. And that's what we want to do. God's means of your growth, quote, God's means of your growth, redemption, and restoration in, is others in your life who are committed to bringing your brokenness out into the open and bringing the gospel of Jesus to bear on it. And I don't know if that phrase scares you, but I pray that it doesn't. Because remember, Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're saved from your past sins. You're saved. You've been given the power to overcome your present and you, have been, you are going to be saved from that future presence of sin in your life. You can now live in freedom. There's nothing holding you back. And what our life is going to be like then if we're really going to be about following that great commandment of loving God more and then from that loving others well. And then that commission that he gives us to go out into all the parts of the world and to make disciples who make disciples. If we're going to do that, then we need to change the narrative of what's been unintentionally given to us up until this point. And to allow people into our life 
that are committed to bringing out our brokenness into the light and helping us see the gospel and how Jesus can bear on that and change it. And so our identity, we've talked about this last fall, but our identity is right family. We are adopted sons, adopted daughters, and immediately we become also brothers and sisters, and so we're family. I intentionally have done things throughout the year to develop that family type of atmosphere. There it is again. That family type of atmosphere within us at Finding Life Church. But we are not only family, but we are also servants. We are servants of Jesus Christ. He is the one that we serve, and we say, all right, my life is now not my own. What do you want me to do? We are not only family, we're not only servants, but we are also missionaries. Why? Because we are his ambassadors. He is the one that he is, we are the one that he has chosen to work through us to share the good news that is Jesus Christ. And so that's what we live out of. These are our identities. This is who we are. If someone would say, who, you are, who are you? You would say, this is who I am. And not only that, but then I will live out of that. Charles Spurgeon, who is a famous theologian and preacher back in the day, said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, you are a missionary sent by Jesus to love like Jesus, overcome sin like Jesus, proclaim the gospel like Jesus, and see people's lives changed by the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same is true of the church. We are God's people, saved by God's power for God's purposes. And so why do we exist at Finding Life Church? And here's the statement that we have wrestled with, and each one of these words are important. Our mission is to make disciples together every day. We are making disciples together every day. And we're going to flesh that out a little more in the, in the coming weeks. So that's why we exist. That's why we exist as Finding Life Church, that our goal, our mission is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we're going to do that together, not just Kevin, not just the elders, but every one of us together, collectively, we're going to go out, and that's going to be our mission. That's what we are about. We just happen to be in finance, or we just happen to be... Um, a professional golfer. We just happened to, I don't know what. But this is what we're going to do. We are going to make disciples together. And we're not just going to do it on Sunday. And we're not just going to do it in our groups. But we're going to do it every day. Our mission. What are we aiming for? So that's, I mean, that's our mission. Now here's our vision. What are we aiming for? And this is our statement. Every life transformed by the love of Jesus so our mission is to make disciples together every day. Our vision, why we're doing that, is because we want to see every life. Because we have been transformed, right? You and I have been transformed by the love of Jesus. So why wouldn't we want someone else to be transformed by the love of Jesus? And so there's our vision. 
every life, every life, every person that God puts in your life, you want to see, we want to see transformed by the love of Jesus, not transformed by Finding Life Church, not transformed by Kevin Andrews, not transformed by yourself, but transformed by the love of Jesus. Why? Because that's how you were transformed. And I don't know if that gets you excited, but it should. Right? You were taken from a place of death and transformed to a place of life, and now your life is different. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of something that's just, oh, I think we can do that because we want, you know, 20 or 30 more people on Sunday morning. I want people to be transformed by the love of Christ. I would want more people to have these baptism stories and say, Man, this is awesome, and the heavens are clapping and rejoicing, and you and I are clapping and rejoicing because someone has just went from death to life. And that's what we're going to strive for. We're going to make disciples together every day because every life we want to be transformed by the love of Jesus. The tricky part becomes how do we do that? And so our strategy is going to look like this. It's called the four G's. We're going to gather. So we're not going to disband what we do on Sunday morning. We built, it's important. We're going to commit to gathering together regularly with the whole church body. And then it's going to be go. We're going to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples with others. That's important. And I'm going to flesh that out. We're going to call it missional communities or yeah, we'll probably call it missional communities. It might change unless, you know, if you don't like that, we'll, we'll change it. It doesn't matter the name. The purpose is what matters. So gather. We're going to gather together on a Sunday morning. That's no different than what we're doing now. We're going to go. We're going to develop and be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples with others. That all of life thing. And I'm going to flesh out what missional communities looks like. We're going to grow. Here's a component that I feel like has been missing. What I struggle with in life groups, small groups, whatever we call it, it doesn't matter, is that for too long these groups have come together and they'll develop this certain depth to them and then someone leaves. Or someone new comes in and we want, we don't necessarily want the leaving part, you know, unless it's because it's moving because they have another job or whatever, but then someone comes in and what begins to happen is the depth that they had and, and where they were at spiritually and all of that as a group, the dynamics change, right? Because it has to. We're either going to, if this group doesn't change to meet that new person, then they're going to leave that new person behind and they're going to eventually feel like, well, I don't fit in and so I'm just going to leave. And if they do go back to where this person needs to get acclimated again and be a part of this group and everything that they've done for the last six months or year to get them to that point, then I have to go back and redo that so this person can be onboarded to get where they're at, and we've lost a whole bunch of ground. And so I've struggled with how does that really look, and what begins to happen when that dynamic happens, and it happens all the time in groups, is that they only get to a certain point, and they can't go any further, because just logistics say they can't. 
And so this component to me is important. It's this grow component. And what we're going to ask is that we want you to meet with two other people of the same sex to encourage and to equip you in growing up into Christ. And we're going to talk about how that works with missional communities. And then the last one is give. So it's gather, go, grow, and give. And that's supporting Finding Life Church because this is your church family and serving the body. And it's not just money. It's your talents and it's your time. Because you believe in the mission and you believe in the vision and you believe in the strategy. We want to be a church not for ourselves. We want to design everything that we do, our communication and our priorities about the needs of people here in the Omaha and greater area who need to hear the gospel and not around ourselves and what makes you and I happy or comfortable. I am going to fight hard against that. We give our time and our money to serve our neighbors in our city and to help those before and instead of serving ourselves. I mean, that to me is just the gospel. This is what Jesus did. Within our church family, we put the needs of others before our own, considering the health and welfare of the body rather than just putting our own particular family or tribe or whatever it might be um, always before us. And we come to church, and this is big, we come to church not as consumers, but in order to be equipped to worship and training to serve others. Let me give you a brief uh, definition of missional communities before we get into communion. A missional community is a gospel community. It's a family that lives out the mission of God together which is missionaries, in a specific area and to particular groups or to particular people group by demonstrating the gospel in tangible forms, servants, and declaring the gospel to others, both those who believe it and those who are being exposed to it, which are learners. And so a missional community is not primarily a small group, a Bible study, a support group, a social activist group, or a weekly meeting encompasses bits and pieces of that, but it's so much more. And so let me just tell you that I'm excited for this. I know that this was just kind of that overview, and there's some details that you need to know more about, and we're going to get into those next Sunday and the Sunday after. We're going to dive into missional communities, our identities, and we're going to dive into that strategy in depth. And we're even going to take four more Sundays in September and go even deeper in that gather, go, grow, give component. But I'm just going to end with this because I think this maybe will help you understand structure with kind of a family illustration. How I liken this is that Sunday morning, Janet and I have three daughters and each one of them are married. And so there are times where when, when they were married, they went off, and, and Scripture says they are to be their own family. So they've developed their own family identity, our oldest, our middle, and our youngest. But 
what happens is, is that there's times, right, when they will all come home and will be together and will enjoy our company and will encourage and strengthen and love and have fun. So to me, when that, when that happens, you know, that happens around holidays and such, but and we're going to transition now to church. I liken Sunday morning to that time when our daughters would come home and to be with mom and dad. This is what Sunday morning is like, right? Our different missional communities are my individual daughters and her husband, right? Those two are, I hope you're following this analogy. It's so clear in my head. <laughs> but each missional community is, in essence, a little small church. You're going to gospel shepherd each other. You're going to be, do life together. You're going to do mission together. You're going to do all those things together. And I just am so excited. It's so clear in my brain where there could be in West Omaha and South and North and East and downtown and wherever. But it's, I believe, so much more effective to have that in our neighborhoods living and breathing with the people that God has put around you and, and having this mission. And then... What we do is we just come back to mom and dad's house, quote, 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 and we get to encourage and have fun together and listen to God's word, and then we go out and we be our missional communities again during the week. I'm excited. Most churches will tell you that their growth strategy is Sunday morning, and then they do something after. This is different. Sunday morning is important, but it's not primary. Our missional communities are primary, and that's how we're going to grow.